0: Good to have you with us this morning at Faith Baptist Church. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning as a gentleman out handout, the handouts. Uh, if you have any children two years old through second grade, if you want to, they can be released to Children's Church. Uh, that's totally up to you, but we uh, want to give you that opportunity. We'll be returning to our study of Titus, Lord willing. Uh, next Sunday, but uh, with the holiday disruptions, I had started part one, and I wasn't sure how many people were going to be traveling and when they were going to be traveling, and so I uh, just thought we would take a take a week off and get back to Titus next week. And so, if you came here expecting the second part of the Titus message, come back next week, and uh, you'll get that <coughs> get that passage. When I grew up. There was a song, a show on PBS called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And it always opened with a song called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Now, this is one of those times I wish I could sing, but I know my abilities and I'm going to stay in my lane. So I'm just going to read to you the words to this song, maybe a little bit poetically. But it would always open with this: these words. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be My neighbor, won't you please, won't you please, please, won't you be my neighbor? The question of who is my neighbor is going to come up in our text today as we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. But prior to our text, and it's always important, every text has a context, and that context helps us, helps to inform the meaning of of our text. And so on the inside of your handout there, I've given you some selected passages uh, from the Gospel of Luke that kind of get us up to where we are in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is painting a beautiful picture of the obedient Christian life as he weaves together experiences and parables of our Lord in order to teach us how to follow Christ. And this picture is painted for us, starting back in uh, Luke chapter 9, as following Jesus on the way to his crucifixion in Jerusalem. So, I want you to see this morning, I'm going to try to convince you that you need to lovingly show mercy because you have been shown mercy. You need to lovingly show mercy because you have received mercy mercy from God. Now, prior to our text in Luke 9, 18, uh, Jesus comes to that point where he asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he asks them, who do you say that I am? And they Peter answers and he says, well, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so he has this confession that Jesus is the Christ. And that's a true confession. And then Jesus predicts His death, burial and resurrection. And then in Luke 9, 23, he makes this statement. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Then we have the transfiguration that follows in Luke 9, 28 through 36. And Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus and they talk to him about the exodus that he is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That word departure in nine thirty one is the Greek word used to translate uh, in the Old Testament exodus. So Moses and Elijah talk to Jesus about the exodus he is about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And then in Luke nine fifty one through fifty six. We see the road trip to the cross begin. Jesus sets out for Jerusalem and he desires to go through Samaria, but he's turned away. Now, keep in mind that statement. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. What's going to happen at Jerusalem? Crucifixion is going to happen at Jerusalem. But also we're informed of this exodus is going to happen at Jerusalem. So then it goes on in Luke 9:57 through 62. We have a, a quick uh, encounter with some different gentlemen who uh, make excuses as to why they can't follow Jesus right at this moment. And, in, and it's in effect telling us that only those who are willing to leave their home and family to follow Jesus to his death are fit for the kingdom. And then we get into chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, tell us about how Jesus sends out 36 pairs of disciples, 72 in total. 36 pairs of disciples are sent out with authority to preach the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near and they're going to take that message with that authority to the cities in which Jesus is going to visit on his way to Jerusalem. And this is done in hopes that there will be some who repent and follow Jesus to this exodus or on this exodus that he is about to perform in Jerusalem. Then in verses 17 through 24 of Luke 10, the 72 return and and they are rejoicing that they have cast out demons. And Jesus corrects them on that. And he tells them that they should rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, they have believed the message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and therefore their names have been written in heaven. That's what they should rejoice about. And then Jesus takes a moment and he rejoices in the spirit to God the Father. And he thanks uh, the Father that it is not the wise and understanding, but the simple little children to whom God has revealed the Son. Not to the wise and understanding, but to the simple Little children to whom God has revealed the Son. And it is at this point, somewhere on his travels to Jerusalem in some town where Jesus was teaching, that Jesus has an encounter with an expert. He is going to be... uh, He's an expert in the Mosaic Law. He's called a lawyer. That's an expert in the Mosaic Law. And this guy is one of the wise and understanding to whom God has hidden the message of the gospel of the kingdom. He thinks... That he has God and life all figured out. To him is the mystery of the kingdom of heaven been hidden. Now, this lawyer is testing Jesus. Now, when we read this word testing, it can mean to check Jesus out for genuineness. As in, does Jesus really know the law? Or it can mean to entrap someone to test them. As in, let me see if I can get Jesus to say something that will prove he is not of God and thus turn the people on him. So it can be one of those two, the testing that we have. But he also assumes that he must do something in order to inherit eternal life. We have that emphasis on do, and I've highlighted that in your handout on the scripture portion if you're reading along in that. All right, so now let's read our text uh, for this morning. Let's read verses 25 through 29 at first. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. In other words, Jesus is teaching a group of people and they're all sitting. And then this one guy, he stands up and he is going to put Jesus to the test. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the lawyer that he's answered the question correctly, but then he adds this statement, do this and you will live. Now, the lawyer probably felt a little prick in his soul. It's like, well, t- does he not think I've been doing this? Right? There's begins to the question, well, why would he say that? And so, am I really loving God or am I really loving my neighbor? And so, the lawyer I'm sure felt confident in his love for God. He studied God's scriptures and all those things. But how can a person prove that they love their neighbor? Having treated different people in different ways throughout his life, the lawyer probably thought, well, I've loved my fellow Jews as my neighbor. But I mean, are we talking about everybody here? But he's probably thinking to himself, no man can love everybody, right? everybody's not my neighbor. So let me see what Jesus thinks about exactly who my neighbor is. So seeking to justify himself. Okay, we're told his motives by the narrator here. Seeking to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus is guiding the lawyer through the process of realizing that no one keeps the law perfectly. No one loves God with all their heart all their very being, all that summary statement. But also, no one loves their neighbor quite as much as they do themselves. So no person can do everything that is required for eternal life. Therefore, they need mercy. So let's read then the rest of our parable here that Jesus is going to tell. Look at Luke 10, verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest, a priest is a person who offered or assisted in preparing the sacrifices in God's temple, which represented God's presence. So a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, this is uh, one of the tribe of Levi, and they were tasked with maintaining the temple where God was worshipped. So a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then in verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans, if you go back to where we started reading, Jesus wanted to go through Samaria and he sent some men there to See if they could stay there as they went to Jerusalem, and they were rejected. Samaritans didn't particularly like Jews. Jews certainly didn't like Samaritans. It had uh, the place had it was in northern Israel in the Old Testament, and when they came back from Babylon, uh, they they were they were mixed, a mixed lot. They had interracially married, and so they were looked down upon by the Jews. Okay, so there was this conflict. So Samaritan, we hear the term good Samaritan all the time. And so when we hear good Samaritan, we have nice thoughts. But in this day, when Jesus made this statement about a Samaritan, the group would have went, oh, what? A Samaritan? Is in the story? So, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Uh, Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. Now that's two days of wages for a regular laborer. Okay, So two days worth of wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus asks The lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer, apparently unable to even say the word Samaritan, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. In other words, you are to show mercy. He's answering the first question What shall I do? He says, Show mercy. See, God's kingdom citizens are to be known as a merciful people. So, some observations that we can make about this parable. Number one, love for God is not expressed simply by serving Him in a religious setting. We have a priest who is the one who is to make the offerings, and we have a Levite who is in charge of upkeeping the building that represents God's presence. And they would say, and we would probably agree, that they have a love for God, but they don't love their neighbor. So a love for God is not expressed simply by serving Him in a religious setting. Second observation, love for God expresses itself in active works of mercy. Love for God expresses itself in active works of mercy toward our neighbor's. You see, we are like Christ when we see, sympathize, and serve. When it says that the Samaritan passed by, it says that he had compassion on him. As you read the Gospels, that's the exact word that is used when Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion and he serves them. That would be when he would heal them or he would feed them in the wilderness, those type of things. He sees, he sympathizes, and he serves. That's how we express our love for God, is acts of mercy towards our neighbors. Thirdly, one's neighbor is anyone bearing God's image. If you love God, you love God's image bearers. One's neighbor is anyone bearing God's image. The Samaritan came across this man as a total stranger. So emotional love is not required in order to love one's neighbor. Emotional love is not required in order to love one's neighbor. The Samaritan came across this man as a stranger. Secondly, the man was, when I say secondly, that's our neighbor is anyone bearing God's image. Okay, He was a stranger. The man was robbed of all of his money. There was no expectation of being repaid. No expectation of being repaid. In other words, I'm not helping this person so that they can then help me back. There's no quid pro quo in this. This man had nothing. A neighbor is anyone bearing God's image. The next thing that we can note about this is that loving others transcends human boundaries. Loving others transcends human boundaries. What are human boundaries? Well, race, religion, Socioeconomic status, in other words, whether they're poor or they're rich, politics, nationality, status with the government, whether they're legal or illegal, loving others transcends human boundaries. And then, finally, final observation, the wise use of our time, our talents, and our possessions is using them to show mercy. To others, as God has shown mercy to us. You see, we have a debt of mercy that we cannot repay to God. As human beings, we are all born with this sinful nature from our father Adam. And we live our lives sinning. Why do dogs bark? It's because they're dogs, right? It's in their very nature. And by our very nature, we are sinful people. And so when we sin, we are doing what we are by nature. We're sinners. And so by nature, we are under God's wrath. We deserve His wrath. But God, in His mercy and in His love, gave His Son to die on the cross. And His Son had committed no sin, did not deserve death. And He took death upon Himself, took His sin upon Him, and He died and was buried and was resurrected to be Lord of all. So that if you then repent of your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord, as the Master of your life, the One whom you will follow, then God will have mercy upon you. He will forgive your sins and He will save you from eternal damnation. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never turned from your sins and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord, to be your Master, then I encourage you to do that today. But Christians who are here and you've done that, look, we've received a huge forgiveness of our sins. A debt we cannot repay. So then we need to be merciful to others. The wise use of our time, talents, and possessions is to use them To show mercy to others as God has shown mercy to us. So that's the observations that I've made. I'm sure there's more that we could make. But let's talk about some hindrances. What are some hindrances to showing mercy to others in our day? Well, you need to lovingly show mercy because you've received mercy from God. What are some of these things that get in the way? Well, there's number one, race. Race. It reveals a perceived superiority. Some of us think that we come from a better line of people than other people. We look down upon others who are not like us. But as Christians, you do realize that we are all descendants of who? Adam and Eve, right? It all goes back to that first couple. So, we betray our belief in Genesis. When we look down upon others, allow your theology to change your prejudices. Race differences in race prevent showing mercy. Number two differences in religion. I remember one time this is back when my dad was battling with uh, brain cancer and I was visiting back in West Virginia. And I uh, was at a church service in Sunday school time. And they were talking about Jonah. They were going through the book of Jonah. And, you know, Jonah was sent to the Ninevites, but he didn't want to go. He hated the Ninevites. He didn't want to go to them, right? And then there's the whole story of the whale. And he goes and they repent. And he gets mad because they repent and God forgives them. I mean, it's just a story filled with irony, right? And someone someone said at the time there were... An, a A ton of Syrian refugees, right? There was a there was a war going on in Syria, and people were displaced from their homes, and so there was a there was a crisis in refugees, and uh, there was battles going on about whether we should allow uh, Syrian refugees here in in the United States and that type of thing, and and somebody made the statement that said, well, you know, in Jonah's day he was sent to the Ninevites, maybe maybe in our day God is sending the Ninevites to us by sending Syrian refugees to us, that we can give them the gospel. And uh, and they said, you know, because you know what did they do to start this war? war? And there was a guy that was, I, I, and I don't know who it was, and I'm glad I don't know who it was. But he he, he kind of sh- fault He's like, well, they brought it on themselves. Folks, we've been shown great mercy. We need to be merciful. We need to be merciful. Don't let somebody else's religion keep you from being merciful to them when they have a need. It may be that your mercy to them will be what brings about their conversion to Christianity. So race gets in the way of us showing mercy. Religion gets in the way of us showing mercy. Status with the government. You've heard me say it before. You can hate policy. All you want, but you can't hate people. You can hate immigration policies all you want, but you can't hate immigrants, regardless of their status with the government. You are to love people. You say, but yeah, but some of them are thieves and, you know, enemies of the United States. Well, what did Jesus say about our enemies? What did he tell us to do to them? Love them. I mean, we we really have no options here from our Lord doesn't matter if they're legal or illegal immigrants. You are to love people. So show mercy to people. We had a great testimony where Brother Signs was able to show mercy to some people who were coming over to the United States. What are some other differences? Well, one more that comes up in our day, politics. Somebody a Republican? Or are they a Democrat? Doesn't matter if they need help, right? We're to show mercy to them. So there are differences that hinder us. Another thing that hinders us showing mercy to someone else is greed. Greed. We'd rather spend... Here, let me make it personal. I'd rather spend my money on me than on others. rather use my possessions for me than for others. The Samaritan took this man to an inn... Took care of him. And then what did he give the guy? Two days wages. Now, that was for a common laborer. I'll leave it to you to go figure out what the minimum wage is. 8 Times eight hours. Times two. But just think in your mind, when's the last time I spent two days worth of my wages on showing mercy? On helping somebody else. That I There was a need I knew about. And I took two days worth of my wages. And I help somebody else. Greed gets in the way of helping others. The next thing, inconvenience. The whole inconvenience of it all. I'd rather spend my time on me doing the things that I want to do rather than spend it on others. I mean, think about the Samaritan. Now, also think about the Samaritan in his day, right? Because, like, I don't like to get out of my house to go. Two miles down the road in my car. He's having to walk to wherever he's going, right? So he's not just out, he's not just out for a casual evening stroll on this road to Jericho. The Samaritan's doing something. He's either going to visit family or it's business or whatever. He's got something he's doing and he stops it all to help this man. And to take him to someplace and to make sure that he's cared for. It's pretty inconvenient. He's walking, right? He's walking. I hate detours. How many how many of you how many of you would love to just, you know, tomorrow morning around eight o'clock drive through the the construction zone there and the far interchange, right? I I never go up to that interchange and go, boy, I'm looking forward to this, right? Now, what if you knew somebody was on the other side of that and they needed help? Inconvenience. Another hindrance. Fear of being taken advantage of. Fear of being taken advantage of. Now, you have to be wise in relationships, okay? But don't let the fear of some people keep you from helping people with genuine needs. Don't let the fear of being taken advantage of Keep you from helping people with genuine needs. Folks, we will be taken advantage of. I mean, it just happens. But we can't let that keep us from helping somebody. Or from somebody. Maybe somebody took advantage of you in the past. And you internally are saying, well, I'll not do that again. Well, you might not do it to that person again. But that doesn't mean that if somebody else comes along and they have a need that you you shouldn't help there. Right? You need to lovingly show mercy because you have received mercy from God. Those who are fit for the kingdom are those people who people who have realized their need for God's mercy, repented of their sins and chosen to follow Jesus. Those who are fit for the kingdom are those who have received mercy from their loving God and in turn show mercy by actively loving those made in God's image. Those fit for the kingdom Love God with all their heart, soul, strength and mind by loving their neighbors as themselves. See, the Good Samaritan was a picture of loving your neighbor. So who is your neighbor? As Mr. Rogers would sing, won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone bearing God's image. What does it look like to be a loving neighbor? Well, a loving neighbor looks like actually helping those who are in need of mercy. To be a loving neighbor, you must put your love into action and help those who are in need of mercy. So are you loving people like yourself? Think about if I were in their situation, what would I want people to do? And then show mercy. Folks, serving God in church is a good thing, but it can't be a substitute for loving people of all races, nationalities, political parties, and religions. Don't let greed get in the way of showing mercy to others. Don't let inconvenience get in the way of helping others. There's a reason you found out about that person in need. Maybe nobody else helped him up until that point. But when you heard about it, now you have a responsibility. You can either take it or you can throw it away. Don't let inconvenience get in the way. Don't let fear of being taken advantage of get in the way of loving your neighbor. Are you loving people as God has loved you? Christians should be a people who show mercy to those in need because they have been shown mercy by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to lovingly show mercy because you have received mercy from God. And as recipients of God's mercy through Christ, you need to show mercy to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come here today and to Here again, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Father, I pray that as we as Christians have died to ourselves and we are following you, may we understand that we are following you to be sacrificial. As you gave your life on the cross sacrificially for us, Lord, may we live our lives sacrificially for others. Father, to help those who cannot help themselves and have no way of paying us back. Oh, Father, we owed a debt we could not pay, yet you loved us and sent your son to die for us. Thank you for Jesus. And I pray, Father, help us to love our neighbors as we should. To be merciful as you have been merciful. And Father, if there are some here this morning and they have not received mercy from You through Jesus Christ, I pray that You will open their eyes to the beauty of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that they will repent of their sins even now. And call out to You in prayer and ask You to forgive them because of what Jesus did. In order that they'll make Jesus the Lord of their life. Father, we love You. And we thank You for People, difficult people, hard times, that we can be your hands and feet here on earth. We ask this in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.